Welcome to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Here's your host, Amanda Galbraith. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we bring top talent from across the iHeartRadio Talk Network to debate the five biggest stories of the week. And boy, do I have some talent here today. Um, we have Karen Gordon, who's the principal of Gordon Strategy and host of Reputation Rescue with Bill Carroll on News Talk 580 CFRA in Ottawa. And the wonderful Karen Restool, CEO of Shared Value Solutions, Bold Realities, and Whose Land. The Karens, welcome to the show today. I'm so pumped to have you on. It's fantastic to be here, Amanda. It's brave going on air with two Karens. Yeah, great to join you, Amanda. Uh, second that, uh, I've always admired your courage and uh, you're proving yourself here once again. <laughs> Me and two Karens kicking it off. All right, well, we got lots to debate, including this week's the Liberal and NDP shocked the political world by announcing an agreement that would keep the Trudeau government in power until 2025. In exchange for agreeing to prop up the minority government, the NDP say they have gotten a whole bunch of stuff promised the priorities that they care about, like new dental care, new health care initiatives that we'll get into. They also say this agreement is not, it's not a coalition, no matter what everyone claims, and will give the government stability. This is Prime Minister Trudeau. We're different political parties. We stand for different things. But where we have common goals, we cannot let our differences stand in the way of delivering what Canadians deserve. You just got to list that voice, man. I don't know. Sometimes it drives me nuts. Uh, the parties released an exhaustive two-page list of initiatives, uh, and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh said he's going to hold the Liberals' feet to the fire to implement them. If they fall short on what we've agreed to, then then the, the deal doesn't continue. Uh, but I'm going into this um, with with a strong conviction that we can get this done. Uh, so I'm personally convinced, and I've said this on air a couple of times, the Conservatives are secretly thrilled about this. Um, it gives them something to fight about. It gives them something to not fight each other internally and in the leadership campaign and gives them some stability to get their new leader in place. Publicly, though, they've ramped up the rhetoric with the Conservative interim leader, Candace Bergen, saying Canadians have been, quote, hoodwinked and deceived by the Prime Minister. Here's Candace Bergen. Justin Trudeau has basically said uh, what I told Canadians I would do three, four, five months ago in the election. Uh, I've changed my mind because I actually want to feel and know that I have a majority, a majority power. And so I will do basically anything the NDP asked me to do in order to keep that power. Uh, not to be outdone, um, CPC MP and leadership candidate Pierre Polyev, of course, is in there with some punches. Uh, this is what Pierre Polyev had to say. Uh, they have agreed to um, a radical and extreme agenda to expand the power of government by taking away the freedoms of the people. So I think under torture, you could not get me to vote for either the Prime Minister or NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. That being said, I do not think this is the great electoral crisis of our time. My perspective is this is sort of just, you know, codified or entrenched something that the NDP have been doing for a while, which is sort of gyrate about every time there's a confidence motion and then eventually cave. And in theory, at least they get a couple of things out of it. That remains to be seen, given the liberals have been promising, you know, pharmacare and, uh, you know, throne speeches for eight years now or, or whatever. So I don't see it as a five alarm fire. I do see it as a problem for the country as far as the economics of it. I don't know how we're going to afford to spend billions more on top of what's going on. But maybe Karen G, I'm going to do Karen G first. Um, is this the end of democracy as we know it, know it? Or, you know, do people need to take a pill here? 
No, I think it's not the end of democracy at all. In fact, I think it shouldn't be a surprise. Trudeau's been catering to the NDP since, you know, since he first got in power. So it shouldn't be a surprise. What is a surprise are two things. The exhaustiveness of the list of things they're going to agree on, because there's no chance if they've ever worked within the par parliamentary system, they think they're going to even accomplish half of this. And the second thing is all the time they've spent saying it's not a coalition. It's like one cabinet minister short of a coalition, but come on, this is a coalition and, and there's no other word for it. And they've exhausted a lot of communications time trying to explain exactly how it's not, which has only served to highlight exactly how it is. Yeah, and that list, by the way, includes dental care for low-income Canadians. So it starts with under 12 in 2022, under 18s and seniors by 2025. This is the list allegedly. Again, I'm, I'm skeptical as Karen is about the ability to achieve this. Um, Universal Pharmacare Act, whatever that means, by 2023, and a formulary on bulk purchasing by 2025. Homebuyer's Bill of Rights, something about climate change, support for labor unions, 10-day paid sick leave, um, investing more in Indigenous reconciliation. The list goes on and on and on. Um, Karen... Ristool, are you pleased by the stability this is offering or do you see this as, you know, an electoral crisis? And by the way, for the record, they're calling it a confidence and supply agreement. It's super catchy as opposed to a coalition government. Over to you, Karen. Yeah, I mean, uh, confidence and supply uh, just doesn't build that con confidence for me, I would say. Um, <laughs> when you have to call it what you hope it will be, um, that's usually... Uh, a red flag. Um, I think folks are, you know, I, I think some people, maybe not on this line, are convinced that there is a romantic aspect of the situation that, you know, the liberals are leading towards, uh, you know, bringing people together and governing and, and maybe giving people the sunny ways that they promised uh, six, seven years ago. I'm a bit more jaded when it comes to this. It's obvious to me that um, there's some uh, fear here uh, within the Liberal team about uh, maybe uh, that's been um, triggered by the CBC, uh, CPC leadership race recently. But the way I see it, you know, coalition, uh, supply, whatever you want to call it, this is a marriage of convenience. Uh, it's an arrangement that's working for each of the parties in the here and now, but down the road, if and when it doesn't serve the Liberals, when the question becomes, will the union stand the test of changing circumstances? And with the increasing divorce rates in North America, I can't <laughs> say that there's much confidence there. Uh, Karen, do you think this is destined for an early divorce that we won't see 2025? And I'd also be curious to get your take on it. Your political strategist, obviously, you're on the conservative side of things. But taking your partisan hat off, would you have told Jagmeet Singh to take this deal? No, the, the best part of the whole thing is that they think they can actually fight the banks. Like you want to fight <laughs> dentists and banks. Good luck. I wish you the best of luck getting money out of the banks. Come on. I, I wouldn't No, I, you know, it's a fancy way to say, like you said in the beginning, Amanda, they always disco dance to try and get the NDP on side. This takes a bit of the surprise out of it, but it's only a deal until it's not a deal. It's only a deal until the NDP decide we're not going to support that or we need to, you to do more on something else as soon as Singh sees an opportunity. Like, let's not forget that guy's been leader for five years. The, the egg timer is on. He's got to do some dramatic moves to hold his spot. And the minute something doesn't work in his favor, he's going to walk away from it. I would.
So it's, I don't think it makes it to the end. I counted under the 50% of families that get divorced. <laughs> um, Karen, you know, the economics of this is really what, like, I'm unfussed by, tr- truly unfussed by, I think it'll break down whenever it breaks down as it naturally would have, whether they had an agreement or not. Um, I think, I actually thought the agreement that Jack Layton did, um, I think it was back in 2004, five, four, um, with, uh, then Prime Minister Paul Martin was really effective, right? There were five things on the list. Um, they were demo- like largely things that could be achieved quickly as opposed to this two page document, most of which I think, you know, having worked in government for, um, in Ottawa for five years, uh, it takes forever. So curious with your take on, are you concerned about the economics of this deal? Um, it's going to billions and billions more in spending. I mean, obviously Karen just mentioned they're, they're talking about taking on the banks, which whatever that means, um, new pharmacare, uh, dental plans, again, all good things, but we're in an economic crisis and a debt crisis. Can the country really afford this right now? I think the obvious answer is no. Um, I think folks are recognizing that inflation has been on the rise. It can continue to be on the rise. Life is more expensive. When you talk to real people, so the people outside of the policy bubble, um, they're really feeling the crunch and they don't have proximity to those decision makers to be able to influence key decisions. Um, and so um, I think it, this, this, is, uh, this is a deal that's a bit out of touch uh, with reality. I don't think your average Canadian wants to see more spending. Um, I think they want to see a government that is taking care of them in the now, but more importantly, positioning us well for the tomorrow. All right. Well, agree. We'll watch that. Um, Next up, our military is in crisis. You will not believe the plan they have to fix it. That's next. This is Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we debate the five biggest stories of the week with top talent from across the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And today we have... You've been listening to two court Karens, I should say, my two two of my favorite people, Karen Gordon, principal of Gordon Strategy and host of Reputation Rescue with Bill Carroll on News Tax 580 CFRA in Ottawa and Karen Restool, CEO of Shared Value Solutions, Bold Realities and Whose Land. Now, this is a really interesting story. We've talked a lot about the crisis in the Canadian military on the show over the last year and a bit. Um, and it seems to sort of, uh, you know, reached a, another apex in that the military is now acknowledging the challenges they're facing and laying out a plan to deal with it. Um, but we should cast our mind back before we go through the debate today, whether this is the right thing to say, you know, what's been happening to them, right? We've had several chief, or multiple, I should say, chiefs of defense staff have either been removed or left in disgrace because of sexual misconduct scandals. That's rocked the military to the point where, frankly, they lost the defense minister. He had, he was shuffled or, or stepped aside. Um, and they brought in a new defense minister, Anita Anon, who one of the first acts that she did was apologize to victims of sexual misconduct in December. Here's Anand. This misconduct and abuse of power led to a crisis of broken trust in the defense team. As Minister of National Defense, I am apologizing to you on behalf of the government of Canada. It's also no secret that I think investment until recently, frankly, investment in the military hasn't exactly been a priority of the Liberal government, even though they have made some big funding promises. They have underfunded the military um, by, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and then on top of it, there's been a drop in recruitment since COVID. 
Uh, so this combination has basically left our military under-resourced, I think undervalued by Canadians and lacking in recruits. In fact, officials confirmed that we are currently short 7,600 people of what the military would call a trained and effective strength. So basically we are 7,600 people short of a military that we were required to kind of defend our country. And as we see what's happening in the Ukraine, um, we share a pretty big border with Russia in the Arctic. And I think this is something we as a country need to, to confront. The military obviously thinks so too, as they've rolled out uh, a new strategy to try and fix, you know, what I would call my kind of professional life, a brand problem or, or a, a reputational problem they have. They're creating what's called a new ethos, which they're calling trusted to serve and will emphasize the importance of character, inclusion and teamwork. They're also rolling out new gender neutral dress code that they hope will begin to shape a major cultural shift that's needed. This is obviously getting lots of attention. Um, you know, for the record, I did take a look to see how many other militaries have gender neutral dress codes. And it's sort of a thing that's up for debate. But New Zealand has done something similar. Um, the U.S. Navy is also moving towards gender neutral uniforms. So it's not just, you know, the great mighty nations of New Zealand and Canada <laughs> taking this a shot. Um, Minister Anita Anand has, I think, has been doing a pretty good job. Here's talking about the need for change. And I know that up and down the ranks of our institution, there are people stepping up to lead deep and transformational culture change. Um, so all of this comes, obviously, as mentioned, as NATO considers long-term deployment in Eastern Europe. Um, last week, we talked on the show about the fact that uh, the Canadian government admitted we have no more weapons to send to Ukraine. And in fact, we may have to purchase some, but like the cupboard is bare. So Karen G., uh, Gordon, to you... Do you think this strategy, this new ethos, this, you know, a move towards gender neutral and more inclusive uniforms, will this work to kind of modernize our military or is this just sort of, you know, surface level fixes that aren't going to fix the fundamental problem? I think it's a really good start, actually. And I think to rebuild and rebrand and reposition our military is a huge task. It's a huge task. It's structurally within the system. There's lots of pieces. And I think this was a good first step. Let's face it, they are in probably the worst reputational situation of any um, any of the organizations that we deal with, certainly any of the government organizations. We need them now more than ever. And I think this is a good first step. Is it going to fix all their problems? Not even close. Is it a start? And is it what I liked was the acknowledgement that the defense minister has been making about the need to fix it. I think that was the first big step was when she became minister and apologizing. And, and I think that's important. And I think this is a good first step. Uh, Karen Stoll, you know, I do think I do give a lot of credit to this new minister. Um, you know, there were literally weeks on the show last year where we couldn't go a week without another military scandal, like literally another week without another, uh, you know, news about, this had been hushed up or, you know, this CD, like the, this person in charge was been accused of misconduct. Like it was, it was bananas. Um, and as someone who's always historically supported the military, I think they do amazing, important work. We even saw them deploy with the flooding here, right? Like we really treat them as I think what we call five tool players. Um, and I think they've been underinvested in, but do you, do you see this sort of culture shift, this news? Do you think this will work? The strategy is, is enough or are you more on with Karen that it's a start? I think it's a start, but what's quite surprising about this is at a time where we are promoting diversity, um, it's interesting that we're striving towards uniformity within the uniform itself. 
Um, so I find that a bit perplexing, but I understand what the goal is here. It's, it's to offer um, a visual signal uh, to help shift uh, that stale culture that they've been struggling with in the military. Um, but I do get to one key question, and this is where uh, I spoke to a friend of a friend of a friend. Uh, we'll create distance there so that nobody gets in trouble. But um, <laughs> I heard that they asked for new boots, which is gender neutral, and the request was denied. Now, I'm going to go with boots being, you know, a basic need uh, if you're in the military, if you're not comfortable in your shoes, so to speak. Um, it can have uh, impacts on how you do your job and how you uh, carry yourself in, in your role. So my question becomes, you know, while we're rebranding here, are we losing sight of the basics? And just to pick up on that quickly, Karen, what, what, what was wrong with the boots? They're just uncomfortable or they're outdated or what was the issue there? Do you know? I don't think it was, I love that. I don't think it was a style, a question of style, Amanda. I think it was uh, purely a question of function. And uh, my sense is that, uh, you know, the, uh, the soles were, were, were wearing out. Ah, okay. Well, by the way, by outdated, I meant tech, like in technology, in case there's some like fancy new soles. Not, although I am known for my fashionable shoes, I will totally, fully admit that. Um, but speaking of uh, speaking of like fashionable, right? The military did say for like they came out very bluntly and said we're 71 percent white males. They say it's a problem because it's not reflective of the Canadian workforce, which has changed. I mean, you know, Karen, no big surprise that men want to be in the army more than women. Um, do you think this is something we need to tackle or is this just something we should accept as sort of a societal, you know, it's just boys get to play with G.I. Joe and they're just more traditionally socialized to, to gravitate toward these jobs? I think it's something that we need to tackle 100 percent. We you know, we pride ourselves as Canadians on our diversity. It's one of the things that makes us, you know, the country that we are. We, you know, the first thing you learn in grade two in Canada that we are a mosaic, not a melting pot, all that kind of language that that we've grown up with. And we're a diverse country. And I think our military should reflect, should totally reflect that. And I will say also for as I asked that question, um, my response would I would mimic Karen and just also say that. You know, there's been lots of research that said the more female leaders you have, and I think you can look at the female defense chief who's currently, or sorry, the female minister who's currently in charge, often women, like it results in better organizational um, outcomes, more profits for companies. So I do think attracting women uh, is a good thing to do. I've got about 30 seconds left for you, uh, Karen. I did want to ask you this real complex question in about 30 seconds. Um, what do you think the fact that we're seven, th almost 8,000 officers sh or soldiers short um, says to our NATO allies who are basically looking for people to mount, I think, a growing presence in Eastern Europe. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, what you laid out in the opening, it's a problem. Um, when you talk about, you know, the strength of a nation, the strength of a collective, um, it's that has to be reflected in, in the number of people uh, who are willing to stand up and to stand at those front lines um, and defend our country. So uh, I, I don't have enough visibility into the issue to really comment, you know, really deeply. Um, but I agree that uh, it's definitely something worth uh, looking into. Will the new costumes uniform sway <laughs> people towards the military? I'm not fully convinced. I'm not either, but I, I do think it's a start. Um, I have confidence in this minister and hopefully kind of the, the military taking this seriously. And I also think for us as a country, given the sovereignty issues, I think we're going to face in the next decade, we need to get this right. 
So the Royals have gotten themselves in hot water again, this time with a bungled Caribbean tour that's resulted in protests and Jamaica renouncing the monarchy. Find out what the panel thinks of that after the break. I'm Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. The Free For All Friday Roundtable continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Happy Friday and welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we bring top talent from across the iHeartRadio Talk Network to debate the five biggest stories of the week. And today we have two, two, not one, but two fabulous Karens on the show. Karen Gordon, principal of Gordon Strategy and host of Reputation Rescue with Bill Carroll on News Talk 580 CFRA in Ottawa. And Karen Restool, CEO of Shared Value Solutions, Bold Realities and Who's Land. I cannot wait to get into the story with these two. So the Hot Mess Express has arrived in the Bahamas after a tour filled with gaffes and missteps. What am I talking about? Surprisingly, I'm actually talking about the tour of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, uh, Prince William and Kate, well, Duchess Kate, I guess you'd call her, um, who I think could previously do no wrong if we cast our minds back to their, you know, Canadian tour where they were just fawned upon. But watching this, you know, eight day tour of the Caribbean, I, I just, it's been giving me the icks in a way that I, I've never seen before. It just makes me uncomfortable and it feels wrong. And I wanted to see if the panel agrees. So this tour was designed to kind of secure the moniker's future in the Caribbean, but it actually has, for whatever reason, raised more questions about its future than anything. The protests have disrupted the tour to the former British colonies of Belize, Jamaica, and Bahamas. Um, you know, it was designed to commemorate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. So she's been on the throne for 70 plus years. Uh, and this is after the Barbados transitioned to Republic in November. Um, recently in particular, there's been some challenges in Jamaica when the couple arrived. The day after they arrived, the government began the process of transitioning to a republic. Basically tell the crown, like, thank you so much for your visit, Will and Kate, but, you know, we're just not interested. I'm not that into you. Here's Jamaican Prime Minister Andrew Holdness, who had this to say to the royals. Jamaica is, as you would see, uh, a country that is very proud. And uh, we are moving on. They are moving on. They are moving on without... William and Kate. Uh, there was also another, um, you know, very controversial photo op that took place. Um, Prince William and Kate had been visiting, uh, you know, a soccer stadium with Jamaican-born Manchester City star Raheem Sterling, uh, who's a major soccer player. Um, there were a group of children and people crowded around behind a, behind a fence um, who were staring at the couple and cheering and chanting. So, um, you know, both uh, Sterling went over to greet them, but then the Prince, the Duke and Duchess went over to greet them. And you see these images, these visuals, which I think just powerfully drive home the, I think the, the bizarreness of the monarchy in a modern day, reaching their hands, you know, young black children reaching their hands through this wire fence to try and touch, you know, these two people who are in this job by virtue of birth. It just struck me as just out of date and odd. And this all came as 100 Jamaican academics and politicians and cultural figures signed an open letter calling on the Royal British family and the sorry, royal family and British government to apologize and pay reparations for subjecting the colonial rule in slavery. In response, William offered his, quote, profound sorrow for slavery, but stopped short of offering an apology. Here is Prince William. I want to express my profound sorrow. Slavery was abhorrent, and it should never have happened. And yet your family benefit from it and continues to financially benefit from it and not take responsibility for it. So, uh, Karen Gordon, I mean, I've historically actually been a bit of a royal fan. Um, and I particularly, uh, I think the Queen is a remarkable figure. 
Um, but watching this tour has really soured me on things. I just feel like it is so out of date, so out of touch. And them watching them flounder and pivot and not respond to or not foresee, um, you know, what is a growing movement uh, around the world to me just strikes me as incredibly bizarre. Um, what did you make of this tour? I, it feels like Prince Andrew planned it with all of his public relations savvy. <laughs> Like, I, 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 like you have been a fan, but I, I don't understand what's going on. I, I really, you didn't see this coming. You didn't think about this and it's repeated. It's not one event that's gone south. It's a number of events and it's, it just reeks of tone deafness. And, and I'm in the same spot as you, Amanda. It's making me kind of second guess my royal watching, which I've been doing since I got up at 4 a.m. to watch Princess Diana get married. And it it is repeatedly just tone deaf. And they're not very good on their feet. As you know, my favorite blogger, Lainey Gossip, likes to say they're not built for improv. And they've been trying to pivot. And I think watching the pivoting has been even worse than the, you know, even worse than the photo ops is the pivoting in the speeches and yeah, I, I don't understand how this was allowed to happen. I don't understand how they made the decision to do this and how they weren't briefed on the fact that these were things that were happening. It started with, like, right, Barbados, I think, was the first. And I, I don't mm -hmm. know how they, they didn't see this coming. Yeah, Barbados transitioned uh, or began, like, fully, officially transitioned in uh, November of last year. And I actually feel like the response from the Royals at that time was a good one, right? They accepted it. They acknowledged it. They thanked them, you know, et cetera. Um, but it just, you know, I, we make fun of Kim Jong-un, for example, the North Korean leader for like photo ops of one around appearing at things. And yet the Royal family seems to have shipped off their, their best and brightest, right? Prince William and Kate, the future of the monarchy to peer at things like Kim Jong-un does. Like, I don't, I do not get it. Uh, Karen Ristol, what's your take on this, on this Royal tour or whatever we're going to call it? Quite simply, Will and Kate who? I mean, the monarchy is dwindling <laughs> as an institution, and the only ones who are winning are the mug vendors in Britain. Um, Canada, you know, the monarchy to me has become Canada's reality show. And what I'm hearing from everyone is less Will and Kate and more Harry and Meghan. That's my view. Yeah, I have, I, I've actually, I'm kind of, a, I like them. I do. I, I know I wasn't. You know, obviously there was some controversy about how they departed, but you watch this tour and it kind of makes you think like maybe obviously there was more going on behind the scenes if this is exactly. what these this institution thinks. And, and, and you know, Karen, I know like you're you work a lot with the indigenous community in Canada. Obviously, there's, you know, an ongoing um, struggle between the monarchy, uh, the history there and, you know, Canada, the queen as our sovereign um, from your perspective. How does this play into that debate, if, if at all? Yeah, no. So as you were describing it as ick, you know, I thought, well, you know, there's a there's a word for this. It's called colonialism um, and it's out of style. And Will and Kate themselves uh, continue to wear, let's say, to be on theme with a previous question, the uniform of colonialism, whereas you see Harry and Meghan, uh, who like you've just pointed out, have branched off and maybe we're starting to see why. Um, and they're out here in North America uh, engaging in a modern way without representing the monarchy, but they're engaging in a modern way and investing in that relationship. Absolutely from the Indigenous perspective, like 
I don't know how many people know out there, but Indigenous nations signed treaties directly with the Crown uh, throughout the 16, 17, 1800s uh, prior to Constitution. And so um, while that relationship is very complex for Canada, for Indigenous nations, we still maintain uh, that that is who we went into quote unquote partnership with. So when we question about doing away with the monarchy, uh, for me and for so many others here in Canada, um, we have, uh, h- how would the kids say, the relationship is complicated. <laughs> um, Karen, do you, are you surprised that, you know, William and Kate, for me to refer to them colloquially, which I know will horrify monarchists, um, are as tone deaf as they are? Or do you think this is just the institution, as they call it, the firm, restricting their ability to behave like normal adults? Or have they totally gone, you know, into the system and they've, they're lo- we've lost all hope for this young couple? Well, I, I don't even understand how this is allowed to happen. Think of the layers <laughs> of approvals. Like, think, so they're driving around in a Range Rover. They look like dictators from the 40s. Like, I know, <laughs> Amanda... I like Amanda. We, you've been a press secretary. I've been a press secretary. When someone gives you a ridiculous photo op, you're like, number one, are you pranking me? And number two, not a chance. And and here they are. And and the photo at the fence is horrific. Like it should come with a trigger warning. It's terrible. So I, I don't really understand how this happened. And and ultimately the decision's theirs. He's the future king, presumably. If he looked at it and thought, yeah, that's a really bad idea to drive in front of military personnel in a Range Rover, he could have stopped it. It's just, this may be a very pivotal moment, a TSN turning point in the history of the monarchy. Because given Prince Andrew, you know, we're already dealing with Prince Andrew, then Meghan and Harry, now this, I don't, I don't know how they overcome it. But I still like Queen Elizabeth, but this, the rest of them, disaster. Yeah. I mean, I've literally had photo, like people have tried photo ops with some politicians I work for and I have absolutely not, you know, you'd hope you'd dive bomb tackle them before they did that. (laughs) Anyway, after the break, are you okay with politicians bribing you to get your vote? Some politicians are up to that now. That new after the break, I'm Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio talk network. Listening to Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday. And today to debate the biggest stories of the week, we have Karen Gordon, principal of Gordon Strategy and host of Reputation Rescue with Bill Carroll on News Talk 580 CFRA in Ottawa. And Karen Restool, CEO of Shared Value Solutions, Bold Realities and Whose Land. So I saw this story break this week, and it reminded me of a good old time when I was in university, and Ralph Klein announced that everybody in Alberta, every single Albertan, was getting a check in the mail, uh, and they nicknamed it Ralph Bucks. So when on Tuesday, Quebec Premier Francois Legault's government unveiled its fourth budget, um, I couldn't help but smile when we heard them include this. Here's Finance Minister Eric Giraud. To help Quebecers cope with the rising cost of living, I am announcing a one-time support payment of $500 to adults with an income of $100,000 or less. Now, Gerard has insisted, he's told it, I promise you, he says, these votes aren't, these aren't to curry votes. 
and help his government win a second mandate when they go to election soon? No, no, no. It's just to help with inflation. This comes on the heels of last month Ontario Premier Doug Ford announcing the following. We are eliminating license plate renewal fees. On top of that, we're going to refund what you've paid to renew your stickers for the past two years. So that's about 120 bucks per year. Uh, so Ontarians have already started getting their checks in the mail. If you've got two cars, two years, you can add that up. It's a, it's a nice, it's a nice piece of change there. Uh, so uh, Karen Gordon, you know, you've been around politics for a while. Are we okay with politicians buying our vote? Do we think it works, or is is this uh, just politics as usual? Well, the finance minister in Quebec insists, Amanda, that they're not to free <laughs> votes. He insists that I'm not buying votes. So, I, you know, it's a tale as old as time. It's a, you know, it's election season. It's what happens. I don't, I don't think there's anything we're ever going to be able to do with it. You'd have to restructure the political system in its entirety to try and change it. So I'm sort of neither here nor there on the issue. But I do like that he insisted it wasn't to curry votes. I too enjoyed that point of principle. And I will say, <laughs> I am not opposed to the government giving me my money back. Um, I, you know, I don't mind. I also like at least the Quebec version of it is means tested. Um, but it is what it looks like to me. Uh, Karen Rostool, do you believe the Quebec finance minister when he says it's he's not to curry votes? This is just to help with inflation. I mean, listen. <laughs> So in Indigenous culture, we do have something called a giveaway, and it's a protocol as part of, you know, gatherings, feasts, celebrations of the sort. This isn't the case here. It's quite obvious <laughs> to people that this is not a guy who's invested in, you know, in, 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 in showing gratitude to the people who have uh, come together or have supported him over time. This is obviously um, a tactic to... Um, encourage people to, to knock a little X next to his name uh, in a few months down the road. But I think it raises a, a, a greater question of uh, transparency and accountability. Uh, when we look at government, the public sees through this type of approach. Now, I'm not convinced that people are smarter today. Uh, I think I, I think it's, it's a result of greater transparency due to greater use of social media. Uh, authenticity has never been more important. And I think uh, that's advice that should make its way over to the Quebec premier. Agreed. All right. And our last topic, um, there was a time listeners will know, and I think both Karens would know uh, fashion is a big deal to me. I love to dress up. I love to wear heels. So there was a time in my life when um, other than the Met Gala, the Oscars were pretty much, you know, must see viewing for me in a bit of a fashion Super Bowl. I will say there's the Oscars this weekend. I could care less broadly. I may look at it on the internet a little bit, but I, I'm not that interested. I am much more interested in the Canadians men national soccer team, which is on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup for just the second time uh, in the last 36 years. Uh, so I'm just curious um, to you, Karen Gordon, are you like these are pretty big events. One would historically have drawn a lot of attention. The other maybe not drawing enough attention than it should are you team soccer? Are you team Oscars? Or do you just, they can both, you're going to be off with a beer on a patio and, and you're indifferent to the whole thing. No, I'm going to be team soccer. I will look at the Oscar dresses on Monday morning and I will zoom through them really quickly online and pick the ones I like, but no, I am team soccer for sure. Karen, I'm with Karen um, G. 
I'm with Karen G on this one. I think <laughs> I think I'm on my maybe my iPad looking at the outfits, um, but I'm cheering on Canada. Um, it's I mean it's competition. Um, I think uh, and who doesn't like a, a good uh, comeback story? This is awesome. This is if anything, this is you know a way to unite uh, us at a country in a hard time. So very much go Canada. It's pretty cool too, eh? Like I, um, well, one, Italy's out again, even though they won the Euro Cup, which is absolutely bananas. Um, and I have many Italian friends that are losing their mind. But <laughs> I was introduced to the World Cup for the first time um, when Mayor Tory ran for office in 2014. Because interestingly, the World Cup always happens at the same time. Tournament happens at the same time as the municipal elections. And in Toronto, um, there's a huge culture of going to each, like, you know, Little Italy, you go to Little little Jamaica, like whatever, anybody, you go watch the teams play in those neighborhoods. So you do a tour and I got to like, just really get it. It's such a fun time to be in the city. So I can't imagine what it'll be like to see. I mean, maybe we get dumped out in the first couple rounds, but um, I'm super pumped to see our, our Canadian soccer players sort of be in the world cup and be able to kind of wear Canadian gear as opposed to, well, I guess I'd be UK. Um, but uh, so I'm, I will be hopefully in a pub watching that happen. And I don't know, maybe I kind of feel like the Oscars are a bit like the Royals in the last segment. It's sort of this warriorism of rich people doing stuff. Like I'm just not, I'm just not that into it anymore. <laughs> so I could say. And, um, and I can't, hmm? I can't take the stars getting on and doing their big political taking the stage and making big political statements. I can't take it. I can't handle it. COVID well, here, is wrecked up yep. for me. Here's, here's one for you. What if they got up there and started giving away bucks, right? Would that <laughs> change the game a little? Would the Oscars become more exciting? You know, maybe they'd, maybe it'd be worth their while to start dipping into the political strategy here in Canada. I don't know. What do you think, Amanda? There, there we go. Karen, Karen Ristol's got some strategy. I think it makes more sense than Leonardo DiCaprio lecturing me about climate change when he flies around on private jets and uh absolutely. but anyway that's uh like i that drives me absolutely bananas not that's not an issue we should care about but um i think the hypocrisy of these events um standing there talking about poverty and climate change and other major issues while you're wearing a fifteen thousand dollar dress I, like i just not that i don't like fashion but i really cannot with that kind of stuff well thank you um karen gordon and karen ristool for coming on the show it was certainly a very lively debate and an interesting one and i'm i for one am not surprised that you're both team soccer and not team oscars i kind of ex uh, believed that you would uh be on that side of things always a pleasure amanda thanks for having us <laughs> and uh for those of you uh who want to catch any of this on obviously the podcast goes up i'll try and tweet it out after the show is done uh, thank you for uh, the robust debate and all the texts coming in. Uh, we take your points, and I always like to try and pay attention and listen to those. Uh, you know, and obviously, World Cup Sub, I think the team is playing on Sunday, so we can catch that. Um, they had a 1-0 loss in Costa Rica, so they missed qualifying for the World Cup on Thursday. But we will all be cheering for our men to make sure that they get to the end so we can uh, we can come together and uh, champion that as a country, um, much more so than I can champion fancy dresses, even though I love those too. Uh, thank you so much to uh, technical producer Nick and to Sam for uh, producing the show. Thank you all for listening. I'm Amanda Galbraith, and I will be back next Friday. Have a great weekend. <laughs>